0: Hello, and welcome to Minta Dialogue, episode number 461. My name is Minta Dial, and I'm your host for this podcast, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information, or to check out other shows on the Evergreen Network, please visit evergreenpodcast.com. So this week's interview is with John Jeffcock, John is founder and CEO of Winmark, an edtech business that includes 16 C-suite networks with 700 multinationals across 18 countries. He's also a decorated former captain in the British Army. In this conversation with John, we discuss his recently published book, The Sweet Spot, Reaching, Leading, and Delivering the C-Suite. We discuss his work at Winmark, how being an officer in the Army informed his leadership style, what defines success for him. The profound importance of governance, ethical frameworks, purpose, and much more. You'll find all the show notes on MinterDial.com. Please do consider the drop in your rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show with John. John Jeffcock, welcome to the Minter Dialogue. You are the CEO and founder of the C suite network business, Winmark which you started in 1997. And you described it as an EdTech, we're gonna get into that. You're also, and importantly, as far as I'm concerned, a former captain in the British Army, decorated for distinguished service in the first Gulf War. Thank you for your service. And also for managing the Northern Cordon around Sarajevo uh, for the UN during the war in Bosnia. That touched me a lot. So I'd like to start off, John, just by asking you, how much did your experience in the British Army Help you to form you to infa- instruct your leadership style.
1: Okay, that's a good <laughs> a good a good question. Um, I think uh, a couple of ways. The A, I'm very. Um, I, 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 I think in the army stuff has to work. If that makes sense. And and so as as a result, I have a very practical approach, and um, and and I, and I want to understand. I want to understand how things work, and I and I, and I want to do things in, a, in an open, honest way. And, and I also think that one of the things you have in the military is everyone has to be able to do everyone else's job, and so you train to a high standard, and then, and then let and then let them free on the ground. So, so, so I think that that very much plays in. I think also in the, in the military you have to have extraordinary tenacity, <laughs> and so. Um, you know and of you're a founder you you, you go through you know, tough times you know i've remortgaged the house twice you know but, mm. uh, put, i put the paywall on the credit card once yeah, but a, a, a lot a long time ago and and so i think if i had to had that level of resilience i may not i may have given up a long a long time ago which which would have been a mistake so i'd say a combination of tenacity practical approach and also probably just straightforward planning I remember when I did my MBA, I found I found quite a few things quite hard, because I, I found things like performance related pay really hard to understand, because I thought, why weren't they doing that in the first place? Why do you have to give them commission for them to work harder? How does that? i I could, just couldn't understand that as, as, as a concept. Uh, and, so, and so I find, part, I find part, parts of it very hard, but, but when it came down to planning, I think I scored the highest mark ever scored on scored the course, but, but purely because that's all I've done for the last seven years of my life was, was endless small plans on, on operations. So, it's, and, so probably panic the yeah and
0: so you the basic premise of capturing is that well if you say it you do it yeah yeah life's too short yes right but in, in so in, in i i've i've um i've written a book on the second world war and and had an enormous amount of interactions with people in the military and the thing that I always get out of it, which is that in 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 wartime in the in the military, the single most important thing to protect is your line of communication, and and so that there's a it seems anyway I, in the British Army I'd love to know if that's also the the, the case, but the, the attention to communications is so vital in in the army in order to get things done, and I feel it somewhat similar in the issue of business if you if your communication lines aren't clear and the messages that are within aren't clear
1: things go wobbly yeah i think i think that's entirely entirely true and i think also within that a key point is the is a purpose of is it's a purpose of the communication so so what is the ultimate task here and what you know what what are we trying to achieve because i think a lot of people in business get lost in um, in rubbish. You know, they get lost in sort of detail that's just not relevant to, to what to what are fundamentally trying to achieve. Uh, and I think that that is a and that that and it sounds like a weird thing to say, but I think um, in in poetry you have to cut to the chase. In a sense, you can't have spare words. And I think in the same way that in in business it's useful you just if you just cut to the chase. You know, this is fundamentally what what we're trying to do. That's a nice thing to do. But is it going to progress in any way on the journey? And so, so, so you know, I take my so it's like say, I, I I take my children up a mountain in Austria. My my my, my wife is Austrian, so so so. And, and part of getting a mobile phone, they they had to climb this mountain. Part part of all the criteria they had to meet. And um, and uh, and and within that, the the um the the, the day before, they 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 packed their rucksack. So they pack rucksack. And I had to sort of unpack the whole thing, light out on the table, pull out the Barbie dolls. That's all the rubbish to take with you because it's just not needed on the journey. So I think there is a point on the communication that it's 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 keeping people focused on what on what you're fundamentally trying to achieve and repeating it and, and making sure they're clear about 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 the task at hand. Yes. Yeah. So I I would totally support that. Well, now that you mentioned poetry, uh,
0: I understand John, you've written some poetry. Is that is that accurate? Tell us about.
1: That, if that's the case, and why you do it? So I did. I did two books. I did one that, that I wrote, and one that I did with the Ministry of Defence and the Poet Laureate, uh, which was a combination of uh, poems from um, people who were serving. Which was actually, I think, the first book, because because serving soldiers aren't aren't by law allowed to write, and and, and so so as so I got special permission from 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 the Ministry of Defence to do that. And it was really interesting actually this was really really interesting happened because the i i got a i got general dannett and the, the poet laureate to mark all the poets if that makes sense it, it, uh-huh. you know just to, to say how good they were and they had to write out ten and then they came back to me at, and i and i would put it in in, in, in in it it was a scoring sheet and then and, the, and, and then make choices on which poems went in and, and what, what what was really interesting about it was the poet laureate was her focus was very much on the quality of the of the literature Whereas the General Dannett's view was very much focused on the integrity of the experience, no sense, and, and the two did not meet, uh, and so I I, I went with General Dannett. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like cut, cut, it. um, cut to the chase. Cut to the chase because cut to the chase because you know, no one's interested in someone saying that um, the barb wires and writing generals on battlefield. Who cares? They're interested in, in 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 the injury and someone trying to keep the bandage on and how they're doing it and the, and, and the sweat. It's it's is 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 making it impossible for it to sort of stick on, it that kind of sense. And so so it's, it's 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 the intensity of the experience you, you need to get across. And and for me, the purpose of the book, and this goes back to the same point, the purpose of the book was to I, I wanted soldiers to sort of just be able to hand it to their 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 partner or their children and say, this is what it's like. This is the real thing. Yeah. And, and and so some of the poems weren't weren't very good. They were, they were written by people like and it was second language. They were written by seven-year-old know, children saying, "Why, Daddy, you going to war?" kind of thing. So, so, but it was, it was it was it was a very moving book. And there was there was a couple of poems I couldn't put in because they were a bit too brutal. But too <laughs> otherwise,
0: too much pathos or too much. Uh, the language was
1: too brutal. No, we had in the group of poets. I had I had one guy. He was. Um, who, so, so I would describe myself as a, as a proper soldier. I went away quite a lot. There was one guy who wrote for the book who made me look like a boy scout. And, and so it's the proper special forces and went on professional for special forces to do other things for the, for the state. And he did things and experienced things, which I think that uh, middle-class UK is not up for knowing. Uh, and the level of what people actually do in these environments is, is not, and not because they, not because um, they can't experience it, but I think it 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 it, it doesn't help them in any way. Right. It, it, it 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 would just upset them.
0: Well, I, I can't but help uh, as I'm listening to you. This uh, poem is running through my mind, so I feel like I just need to start it, and maybe you can finish it. If I should oh. die, think only this of me: that there shall be a corner of a foreign field that shall that be, be forever england <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, so I, I've enjoyed my, let's say, wartime poetry in my life uh, and explored that, so thanks for sharing those thoughts. John, we're going to get into your book, but I um, wanted to talk a little bit about your your Windmark business, your role as a CEO, and I want to start with the question,
1: how do you define success? Oh, okay. Um, I think so. so, so uh, uh, a couple of ways i think you the so, so we define success by by the by the impact you have that sense. so 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 for us it it's 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 really about did we achieve something for these people and uh, and was it real and, uh, and was it mature and i think if you get that bit right the money comes that makes sense so so i think that the the money i think my finance directors Always thought we were we were a bit of a charity. <laughs> I got trouble. The 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 advantage of making money, though, in a, in a company, which is really important, is it gives you confidence to do stuff. So if, if you make money as a company, you are you're able to invest in stuff. You're able to experiment more. You're able to do all those all those great things. And I was talking to someone the other day who, who had a bad year, and he sort of he's he's sort of retrenched into himself um, because he's now got to look at cost reduction. He's now got a little bit. So so it starts to you start to go from Opportunity to cost, so I think I think made the, the, making money is, is 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 an important part of it. For, for for me, I'm not a I want to build a battleship. That makes sense. I'm not interested in building a a, a buy sell person. That makes sense. I'm interested in building something that is useful, that works, and, and is around for for years to come. It doesn't really matter whether I run it or not. I want to build it. Um, so for that aspect, I guess I'm a I'm a, I'm a builder rather than entrepreneur. Does that make sense?
0: So HMS Winmark, um, what, <laughs> tell us tell us about the battleship that you've been building, Winmark, and, uh, and what is it? What does your role as a CEO entail in this uh, ed tech business that
1: you've started? Okay, so so we've we'll been around for about twenty four years, and what we basically do is run these C suite networks. And the idea is very simple: is if you get made a national, regional, global lead, where do you learn from and the the choice? Is typically academia consultancy or your peers is is where we learn from uh, 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 the academic environment tends to run out at about 35 that makes sense so if, if you go to even the best business schools in the world and you, know, you get taught finance you get to court you know cash flow and all these things but you're not taught how to be a CFO so where do you learn how to do that and, and then you've got to do your great consultancies and Baines and McKinsey's of the world who, who, who do a great job but but if you actually do see a CFO You'd much rather listen to another CFO how they do stuff so I was talking to a, a FTSE 100 C, CEO yesterday he's going to talk to our CEO network uh, and, and he was talking about the, the the people engine he's created but behind that and that's why they, they've been successful they've grown by 600 percent in the last I can't remember what the time frame was they grow enormously in a short period of time and, and he said it was all about getting the people bit right and you know why do they wake up in the morning what is their what do they get out of that so that was the um the way we so the idea is that, that pull these people to get together to share how to do stuff. So it's not theory, it's not uh, it's it's practice examples of how to do stuff, and with that we try and get content off them and all sorts of stuff, and it, and it, and it, and, it, and it and it works really well. We can also feed in. I think it's quite interesting. The the top level consultancies we like what we do. So the the McKinsey World and Bain and Co like what we do because in a way we make their buyers better. If that makes sense. Mm, the mm-hmm. the. Whereas if you're if you're a consultant, you've got quite a shallow depth of knowledge. You hate us because well, well, just introduce an HR director to another HR director who's just done it, and, and there's no need to meet you, and and so so there is a so 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 from one perspective we're very well liked, from another perspective we're we're, we're not very liked because we can we can eliminate the need for a consultancy. That's so you,
0: you raise you raise the playing field.
1: Yeah, yeah, and what have We so we were running all these face-to-face meetings. We we're running about two hundred a year. Face to so face with about 20 people and someone signing up and saying this is what I've done and they were asked a lot of questions. So I and when COVID hit, you had to obviously stop that, but Whoa. <laughs> overnight. And we flipped to not Zoom, went somewhere else, and then, then everyone ended up going to Zoom. ZNS so yeah, had to flip to Zoom after that. It was slightly dull. We, we, we got our, our first bet was wrong. So we went to Zoom. And the cool thing about uh, that was you could suddenly expand globally. So actually you could have a uh, we had a fantastic session. Um, where we had um, in Sat in the UK talking, we had Volvo Financial Services, which is based in Delaware in the US, and it was all being chaired by uh, Guy Barclays, who's based in Kenya. And so you can you can run these global events, which is which is quite exciting. And that brings in I think a couple kind of a new di- dynamics to the world. So, so we we were looking at the best people in the UK, we can now get the best people in the world to talk, to share, which is really good. The other good thing about it is it, it's, it's the cultural different, the p- different cultures, different approaches to stuff. Actually, you might go. Actually, you know, the agents do this quite quite well. I was talking to a guy in Singapore uh, last week, who was saying, "Actually, we really like this because the way Europe approaches tech transformation is different to Asia. The the, the phases they go through are slightly slightly different. And actually, it's really interesting to just it, it makes you reflect on your in your own on your own processes. So it's think that It's really interesting.
0: Yeah, that's something that I suppose is typically done internally when you have the let's say they get the general manager of the United States who moves to become the general manager of China and then can sort of swing some of the processes that he or she learned in the United States to China or vice versa. And as, you, as the executives move around the business, they, they sort of seed and bring their processes and their different cultural biases and understandings into, into the thing. That's fascinating. So tell us about a little bit about the size of Windmark. And, and how many people are members and and who are the types of people you want to have join
1: okay okay so we uh so so we are uh, we're 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 not sort of fortune or footsie snobs. So if that makes sense so we 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 work with organizations who employ a thousand people plus you uh, need a certain level of complexity to make us worthwhile that makes sense that right. uh so we do that we have a whole group of companies people have never heard of but a colossal in size colossal <laughs> you know i speak we, we just we just um, uh, our last chief information officer was a company called motor oil the headquartered in, in athens i have to say forgive me i've never heard of them but they have the largest refinery in southern europe they have a retail chain of, of hundreds of shops they have a bank that they're, and and a family owned so they so, so they're not on the list and it's quite interesting I think in the in the UK a lot of the largest companies are, uh, are public companies. Whether you go to Southern Europe, a lot of them are family-owned. You know, I think it's really interesting in, in Germany, Siemens is a family, BMW is a family. You know, they're all family businesses, which goes back to the point that, that you made in your book uh, about those key important things. That the so, so I think there is a so it's quite quite interesting how how, uh, how are so, so so we have a complete spectrum of members from Disney and HSBC to to cut to, to organizations you would have never heard of. Um, but but it's, it's fun. They're all intelligent people trying to do the right thing. And I know that sometimes in the news gets this sort of barrotation, they're all trying they're all based on greed, but most people I know are, are good, normal people, very bright, very talented beings, trying to do the right thing for, for their organizations.
0: At the very outset, John, when you were talking about how things don't get done or communications fail and things get in the way. The little thought, the three-letter word that I was thinking of is ego. The other thing which possibly, probably is related to ego, which I would hear about a lot is, well, not invented here syndrome. And the types of challenges of incorporating best practices from somewhere else or ideas done elsewhere as well, that couldn't be done here. Or, well, you're a publicly traded company. Uh, It's very different for me. I can do this because I'm privately owned or vice versa and those types of barriers to openness to exchange and learn from others is that something that you run across and and how does one uh, deflect that or get through it
1: so that's that's quite important if i sounds like a weird response for that but but i think you were mentioning earlier about the second and how you uh, how you've done some writing in in, in 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 that space one of the things you find in war is is peacetime soldiers don't very often make the best wartime soldiers and actually it's it's the school teachers who take over and then the who 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 who, who become the officers and, uh, and win the battles kind of thing in, in 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 the end and i think that covid's had the same impact i mean COVID's have been quite a big clean out um because you've had to innovate extraordinarily extraordinarily quickly we had a uh, the senior partner of mckinsey's bay area in, 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 in terms of going, come, come talk to our members, and so one of the things that I thought she said two really cool things, which were really interesting. Uh, the first thing that was that CEOs should have a to-be list as well as a to-do list. So who am I going to be in this meeting? Am I the top negotiator? Am I the motivator? What am I going But she also said one of the things we've learned from COVID is that we can make big moves fast, really big moves, really fast. And so we had the, to give you sort of a working example of that, we had the chief procurement officer of Sainsbury's, which. Yeah, I think his budget is four billion here, year, kind of thing. So massive budget. And they own Argos. And they had to shut, they had to shut Argos down completely, but they shifted the entire Argos st- staff across to Sainsbury's because Sainsbury's needed stewards and, to, to let people into the shop and to manage the during COVID. They did that over a weekend. Wow. So for, for 40 hours later, they shifted an entire company staff into entirely new roles, entirely in sites over a weekend. And I think people learned about uh, COVID that they can move really, really fast. They also learned that not everyone's good at that. And I think there was a big, uh, something we saw on the private equity organisations that quite a lot of CEOs got moved on. <laughs> so <laughs> so there, there was a bit of a, cle- a cleaning out. So I think you, you're, you're right. There is that innovation communication bit. Mm-hmm. I think there has been a change on that. I think the diversity bit coming through is a really important part of that. Because diversity does does lead to innovation because you get different mindsets approaching in the same way. Um it's quite interesting if you look at all the sort of psychology theory, you know, men, for example, tend to take if, if the pressure increases, they tend to take more risk, whereas women tend to do the opposite. I mean, obviously that's a huge a huge, a huge generalization, but therefore having that balance in a boardroom or in tech team is really important. And so therefore you get a different approach. So I think that it is getting better, is my is my positive hope. For the world that's great well i mean and certainly
0: being able to talk with people who are operating in different parts of the world doing different things in different industries as long as you have the mindset that's curious and and you can yeah. get rid of the ego in the listening then you you have great opportunities and and same goes for diverse mind you know, diverse perspectives whether that's visible or not uh, being able to have diversity of opinion, in the boardroom is, is so vital. So let's uh, now talk about your book. I, I thought your book, John, was a really a masterpiece in that it made me stop, think, write, underline, uh, cogitate uh, just endlessly because it really is very rich. So it's called the, C, the Sweet Spot, Reaching, Leading and Delivering the C-Suite. So first question, it's just a setup. Your O in spot is red.
1: Why is that? I, I, I guess the, that for us is is, is a sweet, It's itself. Oh, it, 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 in Hamilton, they talk they, they talk about you, you have to be in the room where it happens, and and for me, the always oh, in a way the boardroom table. It's 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 a room where it, it's the room it's a room where it happens. So, it, so the whole yeah. book is about getting people into the room where it happens. I, I guess it's that's
0: a, that's fun awesome. because I thought it was going to be the officer. Um, the ceo you you do break down the oh, yeah. chief the executive yeah. and the officer element and and perhaps at some level those are the same things but anyway that was why what i read into it
1: okay the, the 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 great thing about these things is is they can they can read in different ways i remember when we first formed winmark so someone said our marketing network does that stand for winning marketing and i went Hmm. Yes, of course it does. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. <laughs> so, so, so I'm very happy people to interpret that however they want, as long as it's good.
0: Exactly. Well, you know, I, I like to see the, uh, the symbols, and that's one of the things that I like to try to bring to leadership is to open yourself to the signals and symbols that are out there. talk about making the C, you talk about a lot of things, but things I wanted to pick up on, you talk about making the C suite, more aware of the customer, and, and how often that's lost in the place where things are happening in the C suite, and you mentioned the standard chartered customer week, talk us through how important it is, and what can boards and C suites do to re inject the customer into
1: that conversation? I think it's a very it's a very simple answer to that. I think the answer is, is talk to them. And I think that sounds like a very sort thing. But I, I always remember uh, we had Justin King come and talk to our to our uh, our CEO network and he, he turned around and said, I don't get this lonely CEO thing. He said, I've got, you know, thirty thousand employees who all love me. How can I possibly be lonely? If I'm lonely, there must be something wrong with me. And there is a because I think it's quite simple. Go and talk to them, and it, I think it's also really important that the top echelon don't don't stop doing that. They always need to put a meeting on the diary every week. I'm going to talk to a customer, talk to a customer, talk to a customer, go on the shop floor, ask ask ask, ask the question. I think I think also people get not used to it make sense, They get not used, to it and then they become a bit um, shy towards it. And actually, they need to need to get out there. We had a really good example of this in one of our our networks, a CEO group, where. Uh, something went, went, it was a hundred million pound business, something went, went, went wrong with an account. And the, the CFO with the client side turned around and said, actually, do you know what? Let's use someone else. And the CEO thought, oh, I need to engage here. And went to, went to write out the CFO and said, can I talk to you? And the, and the CFO said, you know, if you, if you cared, you'd have called me six months ago. You clearly don't, we're, we're moving supplier. And it was it was, a, it was a big account. And the CEO sat back and just thought, put, put his sort of hands in his head said, I didn't know any of our core customers. Just, I just don't know them and if I have to intervene I have no traction on them and it's really it's really to that so it's so the first thing he did was, his response to that was to create a COO because I need to get out there and talk to the customer so I think it's really important you don't lose connectivity it also makes you more valuable you know all these incoming CEOs the first thing you do when they arrive they go and talk to, talk to customers so it's really hard to compete with that in, in these top levels you know if you're in a room and someone says I think we should do this and then someone says well I think we should do this and then the person goes oh, well when was the last time you spoke to a customer it sort of kills you on the spot <laughs> I, think, I think it's really important that you um you, you do the, it in a way it keeps you real it's a bit like the front line you've got a soldiers have to be on the front line in the hospitals you need to just be of the nurses you know in, in the in the casualty wards so you understand what's really going on I think likewise the um the top team has to be on the front line and, and talking with customers and being with their sales teams, I think, you know, regularly.
0: I so agree with that, um, John. I worked at L'Oréal for 16 years, and there was always this this, um, idea of going on the road and uh, sur la route, as we say in French. But it was such a manicured version of it where the sales teams knew that the senior executives were going to be speaking to their clients. So they prepped their clients. And so the the challenge is is finding that authentic relationship because you can also have the case where, you know, you come in the CEO and and in this case, we're talking about hairdressers. So you're a small hairdresser in some small town and the CEO of a $50 billion company comes to you. You can also feel pressured and not feel quite as at ease with a CEO who comes with 10 other people to crowd into your small hairdressing salon to try to meet the customer. And and so you do need to be smart about it as well, in in the sense that you want to create an authentic dialogue and find out really what's happening and don't impose your title on them, for example. Second of all, the the, the opportunity to do it regularly. So you need to carve out time for it. The way I used to sort of get around that at some level was I used to bring our customer service people into our C-suite. So uh, once I had the head of customer service, part of my uh, C-suite, which I thought was the person who then had in, in her case, a woman in her seat, she was representing the customers ipso facto. And usually the customer service group is some sort of sub wing of some other department, oftentimes offsite, if not outsourced. And so this whole relationship with the customer for me was so important. And how do you how do you sensitize the CFO, the the operations manager who's worried about how many units are going down the factory line? When this you know it all ends up in the customer's hands, but that seems so far away from my preoccupation because I don't have enough people on my staff. I my my uh, efficiencies aren't where they need to be, and we get fog bombed by all these other things, and the poor old customer exactly. oftentimes gets pushed aside.
1: Exactly. So I could, could 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 agree with that more.
0: So I want to talk about uh, governance. Um, it is obviously a really important part for you, and I, I and and I also think it is for me. And as you say, it's not exactly the sexiest part of the whole story, uh, but I absolutely appreciated how much importance you gave to it. So for you, John, why and how has governance changed over the last decade? You who've been running your business for. 20 odd years it seems like it's changed and the word that i want to inject into that is this notion of transparency
1: yes i i think that that okay so so, so i think the governance is really really important the the and i think as you as you start so saying uh, as you grow up and take more responsibility in a way you realize more and more how how, how important it is because there's small decisions made at, 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 at that level Trickle down into much much bigger things, and so it's a bit like a compass. If you steer it slightly off, if that makes sense. The the you can end up in a very different place. So I think it's very important that, 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 the, that the the is right, and the and you and the way to learn governance is to experience it. I think it's a bit it's a bit like um, it's all sports. They talk about muscle memory. So it's a it, it's a similar thing to that. You you need to experience it. It's um, school. I think it has changed dramatically. The uh, it actually quite in a good way. I think it used to be much more um, closed doors. It used to be, um, there was a, a lack of diversity of thought in, 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 in many places. I don't think there was a, um, there was a, I mean, it, it, it varied from where where you were. There was, in a way, a, probably a, a lack of innovation. People got consumed by it, if that makes sense. And I think there's, there's been quite a quite of interesting things that's gone on now, because you know, in, in, in reality, the role of the executive committee is, is to set the strategy and then execute it and, 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 and make it happen and the role of governance is to make sure that 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 is that, 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 is, that is happening within a sort of agreed framework if that makes sense the and you do get you refer to egos earlier you get the egos of individuals who actually it comes about them more about or more about a thing and i always worry when we see members on the speaker circuit a bit too much. <laughs> Are they don't they have a day job? <laughs> do you think they're at that conference and that conference and that conference? And you think, really? <laughs> um has it work? And then you get people behind the scenes you've never heard of, but the company's doing really, really well. And you think, oh uh, quite interesting. So I do think the ego bit comes into it, the government bit comes into it, the um I think being alert to things, having having great antennae is really important. Um, I've generally found in life that there are people who get stuff uh, in a way that other people get stuff. So we would, if you have a group of 100 people. There are probably five people who can go up to and you can learn as much from those people as you could from interviewing all 100. If that makes sense. So you want to life find those uh, those brains and, and 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 those wise heads. make sense if you can. And they won't always be wise forever. But acknowledge the fact. But say and and take as much as you can because there are sometimes we just need to reflect. You might just not get stuff. If that makes sense. You might go actually. Do you know what? I'll be is our thinking on this com- completely i always found the the really interesting one is is, is the barbie Bratz story because you, you you had the you had the barbie doll and you must have think you know oh, I'd, lo- I'd love to work in toy r d wouldn't that be fun <laughs> and, you know, a toy r d on barbie must be going you know, they never really changed it then bratz rocks up and takes half the shelf space in a very short space of time and it's devastating for them but you know it's not hugely innovative it's about the same size it's a bit more diverse. It, it, Barbie could have easily done that, but they they just didn't. They weren't able to make make that gentle move, uh, and and that in a way is why you need to bring customer into governance to keep it focused on stuff. And you've got to stop being drowned by um, regulation. Making sure you spend the time thinking about about right things. I think you'd be very disciplined in in running those those meetings.
0: Yeah, well, there's in in the regulation side, there there can be a lot of process. And people needing to follow the regu- regu- regulatory needs and the, the, uh, the rules yeah. with regard that uh, govern the way a board should be done. I have two, two areas that I think it would be interesting to explore. One is the ethics framework. You talked about framework um, just before. How how do you see the ethical line being drawn up in boards and C-suites these days?
1: So, so, so some people think the role of the General Counsel, Chief officer, is, is in a way the Chief Ethics Officer. I, I don't agree with that. I think the CEO is the Chief e- 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 Ethics Officer. Uh, we had a lovely example of this, we, uh, which illustrates it very well, is we had um, Airbnb. We had the, the General Counsel of Airbnb was, was made the Chief Ethics Officer, which is uh, I think one of the first people in the, in, the, in the world to get the title kind of thing. Uh, and they had an issue on, um, on on um, on um, people who had rooms, um, not giving us rooms to people of colour, which is a really bad, bad issue. And so the, the lawyer sits back and reflects upon this in terms of um in terms of um you know what legal rights do we have over those homeowners? You know, what, what can we do? Can they do that? And what legal rights? Has? Uh, and that uh, and, and goes up to the CEO, presents this is our legal position on this, and the CEO goes, I don't care. If they're saying that we don't work with them full stop, end of story. I don't care if we lose half our half our homes, that, that is the ethical line we run. Because the whole purpose of MB is to give people access to these people. And it's it's not about giving some people access to people, it's everybody. That's our purpose. And so we don't we just stop working with them. So I think that I think that problem needs to be owned by the CEO. I think it's really important that again this goes back, you don't get lost in 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 a, in the mud of ethics and regulation. Actually, what is the right thing to do? And I think people are hold to account on that. I think sometimes they're hold to account in a bit of a tough way, that makes sense. I think sometimes it can be unfair. Uh, I know a media company that recently went under because one of the founder was accused of something. Did it happen? No one knows, but the company's now got bust. It was a you know 30-year-old company, employed a couple hundred people. So I think you've got to be quite, 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 quite careful on it. But I do think the CEO has to own the ethics and set the standards. Sadly, our politicians don't do the same thing.
0: Mm. <laughs> but yeah, if you hold holding, that. Yeah, holding people accountable to those ethics and having that hard line, I think that really goes back to the, the sentence you made earlier, which is you have to experience governance. Because when you are in that moment where someone crosses the line and you're in the CEO and you're trying to get this other detail or or item on the on the uh, agenda covered but uh, you have to break you have to know to break to 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 address that issue hey dude that was not what we consider the right thing to do in our company and you have to be able to tell that story then and there which may not be a pleasant thing it's not helping with your efficiencies and your effectiveness but you you need to know when to do that when not to do it and then if you don't do it on the moment well, a you're not addressing everybody, and B you may forget to do it afterwards. So, yeah. if you you know those are things that are examples of of living governance. Would you agree?
1: Yes, you, you need you need to call it out. If you're not happy, you need to call it out. So um, uh, on, on the spot. One of the things I really
0: enjoyed um, in your very pragmatic approach, John, was um, along the question of what is uh, my mission my vision my purpose and my north star and you kind of in a one fell swoop say just don't worry about which one you're going to actually focus on keep it simple and think about what is the key point tell us in your own words if i'm right um, how you think these these types of very consultancy words uh, should be dressed in your company
1: okay so i think we i think as an organization that now, now you, you need a purpose more than a vision because I also think as we're as organizations become more remote with remote working and three days and two days a week, whatever we end up having the you need a a stronger you need a stronger thing to pull people together and keep people focused. And so a purpose is in a way more powerful. It's a bit it's a bit like a political party. It's, you need you need this is what we're trying to do in the world. This is our as Steve Dog would say this is our this is going to be our identity universe this is what, what, what fundamentally trying and do. I think if you then give them a vision and mission statements they they can't remember what to. They it gets gets too much. They, they need that. They need that line. They need that line. There was a very you know that very famous line with JFK, wasn't he, when he was walking around N- NASA and he meets someone who's clean who's cleaning the toilets and uh, and and he says, what are you doing here? And he so trying to put the first man on the moon. He said, that's what you want, and that's that. Is a quick other. You know, consultants walk up to your office and the first thing they do is they ask, your your receptionist what what's your vision statement, and they need the line. And you've got three of them, you you just lose it. So you need that very concise. This is why we exist in, in in the world and Simon Sinek talks about that doesn't he he talks about the was it it's why how what he's got his golden circle and it's it's the why is really important so I would focus on the why and and get everyone focused on that and, and embed it through I think you get the why and the values and, and you have kind of nailed it the division and your annual objectives all sort of feeds into that and delivers on that and there's a way the the administration that that, that comes behind it and I don't down administration it was a great us general he talks about i really like the comment he talks about he said good generals talk about strategy great generals talk about admin and i just <laughs> there is a there's a lot to that so once you set your purpose and you set your thing it's about corralling and administrating the whole organization to to to, to follow that route and, that, and that's where the hard work comes in That's really mm-hmm. hard work comes in
0: it is i mean you you need to be able to say it over and over again in order for it to actually seep into the entire um company because not everyone gets to hear you and back to the communications line and it makes me think also about the British army and how in wartime there does seem to be generally a clear purpose you know we've got to beat them and and somehow that that helps to unite of course if you take the second world war how the uh, different forces within one country's uh, military uh, would tend to want to have the bigger ego and I'm talking about the pacific in particular between the, the navy the army and uh the marines and, and who's to do what and we got the same enemy but it's amazing how even in wartime even in the military we can forget the rallying idea the rallying purpose and let egos get in the way yeah, yeah. sadly indeed so john it's been a pleasure to have you on on uh, my show and to talk about your book, The C-Suite, to so talk about your company, Winmark. How can people get grab your book? Also, I'd love to have people read your war poetry and uh, get in touch <laughs> with you, uh, maybe even apply to become part of Winmark.
1: And um, I, I guess the best way to do it is, is to Google us or contact me on, on LinkedIn. Jeff Cock is quite an unusual surname, so <laughs> there aren't many of us. <laughs> um, the best way to do it. I, I'm told people should buy the book through the publisher, which is Bree um which is a better way of doing it i understand but but that 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 that, 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 that that's their that call. Cool. i really hope the book helps people and the book is written to to try and help it's not about me trying to great stories it's about really really trying to what, what practically help the career so i really just that how helps people and um yeah so so go online and, and, and find me I'm, I'm always happy to help um we always need we, we always need we always need New members, and with particularly on the international as, as we build out this sort of global C-suite platform. So, um, yeah, I guess that's about, about it. And thank you very much for having me.
0: My pleasure. On show. Absolutely, I really recommend anybody who's in a leadership position who uh, wants to be, I would say, provoked into understanding that they need to learn more uh, to do to do a proper job on the C-suite to to check out the sweet spot with a a red O. Uh, by John Jeffcock on Bloomsbury and other lovely e-tailers, I'm sure. Thanks again, John. Thank you very much. Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show or would like to support me, please consider a donation on patreon.com forward slash Minter Dial. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast service. And as ever, rating and reviews are the real currency for podcasts. You'll find the show notes with over 2,000 and more blog posts on Mintadal.com. Check out my documentary film and four books, including my last one, You Lean, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
2: Come mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm.